You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. I'm thankful for the song tonight because he's, you know, he mentioned um, ordinary things multiple times in the song. And, and sometimes, you know, there are messages that, that I, I think I'm led to preach. I think the Lord leads me to preach that are full of ordinary things. <laughs> and by that, I mean, um, there are some, t- some messages that are just very practical in nature. And uh, you learn a principle and then you spend the rest of the time applying a principle in different ways. And that's going to be the message tonight. So it's very practical, very nuts and bolts is, what, is my hope for it. And uh, so don't leave, okay? It's okay. Um, sometimes you need to hear those kind of things, and I need those kinds of things. You just need to get real practical and real detailed and see how those principles apply in our everyday lives, in the ordinary things. And so Deuteronomy chapter 1 is where we're going to be tonight, Deuteronomy chapter 1. And uh, Deuteronomy comes from a, a Greek word that means second law. Or law repeated. If you ever wondered what it means, Deuteronomy, um, it, it basically it's a retelling of of when the law was given, or or when Israel was first going through the wilderness and God was giving them the law. In many ways, this is Moses' fail, farewell 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 address, if I can say it, um, to a new generation. If you think about it. Uh, at this point in Deuteronomy, they've come through the wilderness. They're on the verge of going into the land. Uh, they're on the east side of the Jordan River. And, and all of those, most of those that were 20 and over have died in the wilderness. So in many ways, Moses is, he's giving the law repeated. He's giving the, the law the second time. But for many of these folks... Uh, they haven't heard it told this clearly before. They were young or maybe they weren't even born. And, and this is a new generation. This, this is the offspring of those that have died in the wilderness. And these are the ones ready to take the promised land. So this new generation needed to be reminded of, of their past so it could help, them, help shape their future. And by the way, it, I think it's, it's foolish for those in our country right now that in our modern political climate that think that we can erase our past and it won't have long-term effects on our future. They're trying to get rid of our past and erase what's happening um, in that connection. We need those connections because, listen, I know that our, our country's past is not perfect, but if we erase our past, we're, we're doomed to repeat the failures again. And, and we've got to be careful of that. We don't, I'm not saying we need to focus on our mistakes, but we need to be aware of them to prevent those things from happening again. And, and there's a movement right now to, to just really either erase or, or reconstruct our past, to redefine it. Um, Moses knew the danger um, of this new generation. If they didn't understand the problems that their fathers faced, they were going to repeat them. So he rehearses the wanderings in the wilderness. And his primary message here is this. If you obey, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you'll be cursed or you'll be judged. And that's really the message of the whole Bible. That's that Moses had learned that the hard way. 
I think about it, Moses, um, God had told him to speak to the rock. And what did he do? He struck the rock. And because of his disobedience, here's a man who led the, the children of Israel through the wilderness to take them into the promised land. And yet he wasn't going to be able to see it. If you disobey, you're cursed or you're judged. So he brings the children of Israel to the edge of the Jordan River and he gives them a charge. And a good part of his charge here in Deuteronomy is a reminder of how their fathers blew it. And they had been in a position to take the land about 40 years earlier, but they had, they had blown it. And so he reminds them of that incident. And we're going to read beginning in verse 22, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 22. And you can stand at this time. Go ahead and stand. And again, this is the rehashing. Moses is telling them again what happened the first time they could have taken the land 40 years earlier. Look at verse 22. And he came near unto me, every one of you, and said, We will send men before us, and they shall search us out the land, and bring us word again by what way we must go up, and into what cities we shall come. Sounds like a good plan. 23, for Moses, the Mo Moses said, The saying pleased me well. And I took 12 men of you, one of a tribe, and they turned and went up into the mountain and came unto the valley of Eshcol and searched it out. And they took of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down unto us and brought us word again and said, it is a good land which the Lord our God doth give us. This is a big word here. Notwithstanding. Notwithstanding. Ye would not go up but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. And he murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he hath brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, The people is greater and taller than we. And by the way, it, there are some of us, if we were doomed because people are taller than you, you'd never win anything. So, <laughs> right, Brother Heath? Okay. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakims there. Then I said unto you, dread not, neither be afraid of them. The Lord your God, he, he could just stop right there. Dread not, neither be afraid of them. The Lord your God, that's the answer. The Lord your God, he says um, in verse 30, which goeth before you, he shall fight for you. According to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where thou hast seen how the, that the Lord thy God bare thee as a man doth bear his son in all the way that ye went until ye came into this, into this place. Yet in this thing ye did not believe the Lord your God, Moses says, who went in the way before you to search you out a place to pitch your tents in in fire by night to show you by the way, uh, show you by what way you should go and in a cloud by day. And the Lord heard the voice of your words and was wroth and swear, saying, Surely shall, there shall not one of these men of this evil generation see that good land, which I swear to give unto your fathers. Save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it, and to him will I give the land that he hath trodden upon, and to his children, because he hath wholly followed the Lord. And there's a lot here, and I, I, I really could spend all night, and we just might. So just buckle up. Um, I want to get practical tonight because this is a practical message. And the idea that I, want you to, that I want you to get tonight is, and I'm just going to give it to you up front, there's no fruit without a fight. 
There's no fruit without a fight. And we need to hear that. Because the things that we value, the things that we want, are going to require effort on our part. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this truth. I pray that you'd help it to be helpful. And that you would use it to help us. And I know there's a lot of application. I pray that you'd give us open hearts and willing hearts to hear and apply in our own lives. God bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This past week, our family got to enjoy something we've been waiting months for. In the spring of this year, we planted a garden with uh, tomatoes and habanero peppers and jalapenos and cilantro and onions with the sole purpose of making salsa. Now, I, I know we don't look, look the part, but we love salsa. Is that okay? Yeah. Um, we are big salsa fans, and so we planted the garden. We've been doing our best to keep, it, uh, to keep it watered, to keep it sprayed for bugs, and all the other things that you have to do. And the only thing we weren't able to protect, apparently there's a rabbit in our neighborhood that loves cilantro and would not let it survive. So apparently they love it. I don't know. But this week, Aaron made, for the first time, Aaron took the ingredients from the garden, and with those ingredients out of our garden, she made salsa. And I'm telling you, it was awesome. And uh, now for my taste, it was a little mild, so um, I, I asked her if she could make it a little hotter, and it was pretty awesome to see her uh, walk outside and then come back in with a habanero, habanero pepper, wash it off, slice it up into little pieces, and then make a bowl of salsa just for me and mix it all in there with the habanero pepper, and, and it, it gave it just the right spice. As a matter of fact, I took a piece of that pepper and I put it in my mouth in front of all my children because I thought, oh, I can eat this. Put it in my mouth and my lips were literally numb. I could no longer feel them. Um, so, my, so one of my kids heard that if you get milk, that, that will help you if you've eaten something hot. They brought it out, but I refused to drink it because, I mean, that's da that is dad resolve right there for you. My lips are numb and hanging. I can't feel them anymore, but I was not going to take a drink. I'm telling you, it was good salsa. It tasted good. I had too much of it, but I enjoyed every minute of it because um, we were able to plant the garden and reap the fruit of the garden and enjoy it ourselves. And that story illustrates a truth I'd like to make tonight because there are few things more satisfying than getting to enjoy the fruit of something that you've worked for. And I'm not saying that we made the sunshine, and I'm not saying... That, that we made the rain come down, but there were plenty of early mornings where sprinklers were being turned on and off because we weren't getting a lot of rain. And there were plenty of times that we were out in the yard and, and spraying for bugs. And there were plenty of times that we were taking that nasty smelling liquid fence stuff and spraying the garden because um, there were rabbits. I, honestly, I really think that Sioux Falls has more rabbits per capita than any place on planet Earth. They are everywhere. Last year, I think I may have told you this, uh, one of my daughters, I'm not going to tell you which one it is, you could probably guess, but she got tired of the rabbits and shot one in our backyard with a pellet gun and killed it right in the backyard. And I had to remind her that we don't live in the country anymore. You can't do that in town. And by the, in the dead of night, we had to carry the body out and hide it. So <laughs> if you take that one little phrase out of context in this message, I might be in big trouble. So... Here's the truth, though. Our enjoyment of, of that salsa was a small-scale picture of life. 
in that you don't get to enjoy the fruit unless you're willing to put in the effort to get there. And I was thinking about just examples in our own church. I know um, like Brother Juan and, and, and Manny uh, are into martial, or, uh, the contact sports, boxing, now Manny's boxing. And, and I was thinking, you know, everyone envisions a win in the ring. You envision getting a belt uh, because you won a boxing match, uh, but you don't get to enjoy a win in the ring without much of training in the gym. I was thinking about finances. You don't get to enjoy a savings account without countless small decisions not to spend your money every day. I was thinking about school and that you don't get to get a diploma and walk across a a stage or a platform and get a piece of paper saying you finished the work unless you've just buckled down and done the work. You don't get the fruit without the fight in farming. Uh, You don't have a productive crop without hard work and consistency and days and weeks and months of consistency. And in many ways, this this was a spiritual lesson that the children of Israel had to learn. Look at verse 19 again. It says, and when we departed from Horeb, we went through all that great and terrible wilderness, which he saw by the way of the mountain of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us, and we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said unto you, ye are come unto the mountain of the Amorites, which the Lord our God doth give unto us. Behold, the Lord thy God hath set the land before thee. Go up and possess it, as the Lord God of thy fathers has said unto thee, fear not, neither be discouraged. 40 years ago, okay, 40 years ago, the previous generation had essentially been standing where they were standing. They had an opportunity to go take the land and God had told them, fear not, neither be discouraged. And listen, every challenge has two opposite sides. On one side, there's fear and on the other side, there's faith. And just about everything that God asks us to do, there will be a side that is fearful and then we have, to, we have to either choose that we operate by fear or we choose to operate by faith. Abraham, or Moses had told him, fear not, neither be discouraged. Well, we know the end of the story. Uh, they did, their, fear won out. They didn't operate by faith. Look at verse 22. And he came near unto me, every one of you, and said, we will send men before us and they shall search out the land. They have a good plan and bring us word again by what, we, by what way we must go up and into what cities we shall come. And the saying pleased me well. And I took 12 men of you, one of a tribe, he says. They turned and they went up into the mountain and came into the valley of Eshcol and searched it out. And they took of the fruit of the land in their hands and they brought it down to us. And I mean, listen, they're saying here, it is a good land which the Lord our God doth give us. They came back with a good report. And if you're like me and you grew up in church, when I hear this story, I think of flannel graph. Anybody grow up looking at flannel graph? And I see these two guys with this massive uh, cluster of grapes between them walking. That's the image I see in my mind is these two guys on flannel graph uh, with my teacher showing us. And listen, this is what it looked like. I don't know if that's really what it looked like, but that's what I envisioned. But listen, this, this was a fruitful land. It was a good land. Nobody was denying the quality of the fruit. Nobody was denying that this was a great place. Um, they come back, they're saying it flowed with milk and honey. That it, was, it was beautiful, it was fertile, it was fruitful. But the problem was the grapes weren't the only big thing in the land. There were giants. And the spies came back and over in, in the book of, of, of Numbers, they said, nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled and very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. There were giants. And Caleb and Joshua, uh, you know, there were others trying to 
resist that movement to not take the land. And Caleb said, let's go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. The others said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. All the people we saw, all of them. I I just imagine a lot of exaggeration going on. All the people, I mean, they come back saying the walls of their cities are up to heaven. All the people that we saw are men of great stature, they said. We were like grasshoppers in their sight. I mean, I think that their fear is causing them to exaggerate just a little bit. So now in Deuteronomy 1, Moses reminds them of what happened, and he's telling a new generation of Israelites about the failure of their parents. And way back 40 years ago, they had all uh, admitted it was a good land, and they even brought fruit as evidence. And it's not like they didn't want the land. It's not like they didn't want what the land had to offer, but they just didn't obey. And listen, it wasn't just fear either. Moses said, notwithstanding, you would not go up, but rebelled. It was rebellion. It wasn't just fear. It was disobedience. And that's why God judged them for 40 years. And by the way, fear is disobedience. Because when you're afraid, you make a choice not to trust God. And I'm not saying fear is not real, but if you operate by fear, it's disobedience. Because you have said that your circumstance or the problem that you're facing is bigger than God, and it's not. They start wallowing and they're murmuring in their tents, the Lord has hated us. He brought us out here to die, this self-pity. And Moses is saying, let God fight for you. You have God on your side. And yet they missed out on God's perfect plan for their lives because they were afraid. Listen, fruit was available. Lots of fruit was available. This is the best salsa garden you ever saw in your whole life. A whole land full of fruit, a land flowing with milk and honey. It was the land of their dreams, but there were giants. And they were big. And they made them look like grasshoppers. And so they said, no, I don't think so. See, the truth is, they wanted the fruit. They just didn't want the fight. They desired the benefits of the land. They even brought the fruit as evidence that it was worth taking, but they weren't willing to fight for it. And even when Moses said, let the Lord fight for you, he already fought for you when he came out of Egypt. He's been fighting for you in the wilderness for 40 years. I mean, how is this different? He's carried you. He says, like a man carries his son and bears his son in his arms. That's what he's done for you, and he'll do it again. What are giants compared to God? And yet in verse 32, yet in this thing, you did not believe the Lord your God. Fear won over faith. And when fear wins over faith, we lose our fight. And we don't get to enjoy the fruit. And the thought tonight again is you don't get the fruit without the fight. And I want to explore this principle and just apply it to our lives. And it'll be a simple message, but I hope practical. I, I just want it to, to apply it because I really do believe that this has a lot to do not only with our church life and in our personal lives, um, but, but as, just as a, as a group of Christians in the culture we live in, uh, there will be some things that we're required to fight for. And I'm, not, and I'm not even going to focus on that tonight, um, but, but if we're not willing, folks, listen, if we're not willing to fight for the little things in our Christian lives, and we're not willing to fight for the things that, that will make our church a stronger church, if we're not willing to fight for the things that will help our children or help our marriages, then you, you tell me when persecution comes, do you think that we'll be willing or ready to fight for those that are, that, that are, are threatening our lives for Christ if we're not willing to put up a fight for the things that we can do right now? I mean, probably not. I mean, and so you say, well, what's the point, uh, you know, of talking about this? Well, the point is, um, I think we've gotten so comfortable that maybe 
we've lost a little bit of the fight. And I want to explore this principle and apply it. Now listen, uh, so uh, really the, the biggest idea here is that this represents the abundant Christian life, the promised land. Maybe, I'm sure you've heard that before, that the, the promised land represents the, the abundant Christian life or, or spiritual maturity. And a lot of people will say, well, the promised land is heaven, um, but yeah, I hope when I get to heaven, there's no giants there. I hope when I get to heaven, I'm not still uh, fighting for, for things to, to have victory. So that's why I don't think that the picture of the promised land is of heaven, although there are, there are pieces of it like that. I believe it's a picture of the abundant Christian life. And it's a picture of the life that we should want to live. And I was just thinking about the kind of fruit that I want. I mean, we're talking about the grapes, the clusters of grapes and, and those things. And I, I'm just thinking, you know, there is fruit that I want in my life. And there's probably nothing, uh, when it comes to fruit, there's nothing that I want in my life more than spiritual fruit. I want spiritual fruit. I, I want to be a mature Christian. I want to be, I want to live an abundant Christian life. And I would say, most of us would say, we want fruit. We want spiritual fruit. And we want the fruit, and you might even say the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, Galatians 5, and 23 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. We should desire those things. We, and, and by the way, um, we, we're not told to produce spiritual fruit. We're told to just bear spiritual fruit. And that is that that gives the idea that the Holy Spirit is the one working in us to produce it. I just have to be a vessel through which the Holy Spirit can produce the fruit. And the problem is the fruit of the Spirit doesn't come naturally to us. I mean, if you want the fruit of the Spirit, you're going to have to be willing to put in the effort uh, you look around in our culture and tell me how many examples of biblical love you're seeing these days. I mean, the fruit of the Spirit is love, biblical love. Biblical love is a choice. Biblical love is putting others before yourself. Biblical love is seeking somebody else's best instead of your best. You tell me, in what arenas, in what areas are you witnessing biblical love in our culture? It's not happening in most places. And I would venture to say that even solid Christians who think they're doing well for the Lord, they're not necessarily conveying the fruit of, of, spiritual, uh, of spiritual love or biblical love. Love, he says joy. How many people do you know that have true inner joy? True inner joy. It's a fruit of the spirit. It's not something you can make happen on your own. He says, but a spiritual fruit is love, joy, peace, I mean, you look around our world, how much peace is in our world? I, I think, and I've, I've, I've said some of these statistics before, but, you know, there's such a large percentage of, of all medical appointments and medical procedures and prescriptions are for anxiety and mental health problems, uh, just people being overwhelmed. They don't have inner peace because the fruit of the spirit of peace is not natural. The fruit of the spirit of joy and love and patience I mean, if, if, you can, if you can find patience in our culture, let me see it. Faithfulness or commitment to God. Meekness, which is power under control. Temperance, which is self-control. These things, my point is this. We all want the fruit of the Spirit. But listen, you don't have the fruit of the Spirit unless you're willing to put up a fight to get it. Meaning, it's not easy to have it. It's a constant battle. And, and it can... You know, we live our lives every day. We just kind of go through the motions. And if we just go through the motions, the fruit of the Spirit doesn't just happen. 
I mean, I want the fruit of the Spirit, but if I want it bad enough, I'm going to have to say no to myself, and I'm going to have to walk in the Spirit every single day. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's a fight. It's a battle. Because my flesh does not want to submit to the Spirit. I want the fruit in my life. I want to walk with God. I think that's fruit that we all want. But there's a fight. You want to walk with God, guess what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to wake up. You're going, to have to, you're going to have to discipline your mind while you're reading. You're going to have to take time to pray. And you have to, to really s- search and seek for God and, and truly seek him in prayer. And I'm telling you, there's, there's, in my opinion, there's, there are a few things harder than focusing while I'm praying. I've got my mind, I know I've got to do this today and I've got to take care of that. And this is coming up and I've got to do this. And it is hard to discipline yourself. Listen, it is a fight to walk with God and you're going to have to decide if you want to get engaged in that fight or not submitting to the preaching and teaching of God's word listen that's a fight and it's hard sometimes it's but if you want to walk with God you're going to have to fight get in the fight you want the fruit you're going to have to fight if fruit that we want listen we all want to change for the better and I want to be different than what I am but here's a big fight that we have to fight all the time in ourselves we have to be willing to be correctable We have to fight against being defensive. And it is natural for us to be defensive. When somebody tells us something about ourselves that we don't necessarily want to hear, I'm telling you, uh, it is hard. You've got to resist the urge to stand up and be defensive. Too many Christians stay where they are instead of improving because they're defensive. Listen, don't be the kind of person that everyone else is scared to mention something to. Now, and I know I don't mean that we want an environment where people just go around and callously lay into everybody else. I'm not sure that's spirit-filled either. Actually, I know that's not spirit-filled. But when someone that loves you and someone has your best interest in mind, and maybe they're even in a position to say something, but they can't because of your defensive disposition, then you are limiting yourself. And you can say all you want to that I want the fruit of a walk with God and I want the fruit of the Spirit and I want, to, I want the fruit of, get, of change and I want the fruit of getting better and being more than I am. But if you're unwilling to let somebody come to you and in love tell you something that you might need to hear, um, then you're going you're to lose the fruit because you're not willing to fight. You know, fruit we all want, I think, is we want to reach lost souls. We want fruit that remains. To be faithful, here the, here's the fight. The fight is to be faithful to the Great Commission. And, you know, it, here's what you're going to have to do if you, wanna, if you want to uh, have the fruit of lost souls. You're going to have to say, to no, say no to some things. And you may have to give up some personal time in order to get involved in the Great Commission. I was blessed yesterday. I got to go out with the young people and I was just, just, just to see their heart uh, to, to get involved and do what they can. And, and I was cracking the whip on the boys because I've been hearing, and this is sad, moms and dads, I've been hearing that the boys are the last ones to get done with their maps on Saturdays. So I said, okay, we're going to see. If they can't keep up with a one-armed 43-year-old old dude, they got some problems. So I pushed them a little bit, and, and they, were, they were moving quick. We were the first ones done, weren't we, guys? Right? Okay. And Joan is like, I think I jogged like 70% of the time. He kept saying that. I was like, well, good. Good for you. You know, it was a blessing to see him out there. 
And you know, I really truly believe, I, I don't know how many first-time guests we have this morning. We had a number of first-time guests this morning. And I don't know how many of them are directly related to that effort, but I do believe that God blesses us indirectly. When we're getting involved and we're doing what we can, God sends people our way. And listen, you're going to have to say no to some things if you want to be involved in the Great Commission. And you say, well, I'm just too busy. You don't understand my schedule. And yet how many things are directly commanded to every Christian in God's word? The Great Commission is given to every single one of us. And when's the last time that you gave up some of your time to be involved in the Great Commission? Listen, church, I think we've grown complacent in this area. And it's time for us to say no to some things so that we can get out there and tell people about Jesus because, listen, we've got to redeem the time. You've got to say no to some things. You say, but my, you know, Saturdays, that's my one day. And I know people in this room right here that visited for buses on Saturdays for years and years and years. And I think they would tell you it wasn't a waste of their time. We've got buses that we're going to be starting on the buses again. I'm just looking who's willing to go out on Saturdays and reach these kids and find new kids and start bringing them again. The Great Commission. I want, I want souls. I, I'd love to have the fruit of souls that, that, I could, that, that I could take, not for my own sake, but because I, I want to love people and I want them to hear what I've heard and I want them to stand before, before Christ and him say, enter into the kingdom someday. I want them to, to live life eternally in heaven, but it means I'm going to have to say no to some things. I'm also going to have to be courageous sometimes because inviting people is scary Giving the gospel can be intimidating, but if we want the fruit, we have to be willing to fight the fear. Here's another, uh, another practical step you could take. Learn how to present the gospel. I mean, if somebody, if someone asked you tonight, they say, came to you and they said, how can I be saved? Would you know what to tell them? Could you show them from the Bible? Don't expect, expect fruit without the fight. And listen, if you want to know, if, you, if you're interested in knowing how to do that, I'd be happy to, to, to show you what I do. And there's other people in this room that could show you what they do. Listen, we need to care enough for souls to, to get in the fight. You don't get the fruit without the fight. The lost are fruit worth producing, but how many are willing to fight to see it happen? Here's some more fruit that we want. We want strong marriages. And here's the fight. Don't fight. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's the best I can come up with. <laughs> the fight is to resolve to be spiritually mature enough to, to be selfless instead of selfish. To communicate when it's needed. Defer when it's not. Uh, the fight is, is choosing to communicate. Husbands, um, open your mouths. Wives, give them time. Too many husbands are, they're fine with saying the hard or mean things, but they refuse to say the nice things. Communication is not just about telling the truth and being strong about it. Husbands, we need to get better at it. It takes, it's a fight. It's a fight uh, to humble yourself sometime and communicate the things that your wife needs to hear. Uh, listen, men, we need to choose to love. Ephesians 5, even as Christ loved the church, that's how we're to love our wives. But wives, we're choose to choose to submit or respect. Submit yourselves unto your own husbands. He's the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, it says. Marriage, uh, our marriages need the, the uh, spouse, the man and the woman to take on the roles and embrace the roles that they've been given. Love and respect. 
You know, the hardest fight in marriage is to be selfless instead of selfish, to choose to love instead of all the things you'd rather do. It's time for couples maybe to go back to 1 Corinthians 13 and be reminded of what love looks like. The reason marriages aren't strong is because spouses don't choose to demonstrate biblical love. I really believe 1 Corinthians 13 could be a game changer for most marriages if we would just submit ourselves to biblical love. Because here it is, love is a choice, it's not an emotion. It is you choosing to show biblical love to your spouse. But listen, that's fruit that doesn't come naturally. That's why the majority of marriages these days end in divorce. Because it's fruit that people aren't willing to fight to have. If you want a strong marriage, then you must learn to fight for the things that will help that marriage be strong. Don't assume that you're going to reap if you haven't sown. You don't get to. That's not how it works. Here's some more fruit that we want. We want godly children. And there's a fight. And I, this, some of this could get, you know, I'm not trying to be um, offensive, but, but, but we've, we've got to do better at training our children. You know, we train them up in the way they should go. That's a fight. Train them to obey. I mean, how about this? Obey the first time, obey right away, and obey with the right spirit. You know, if we had parents that were committed to that, um, we would have, we would have uh, some godly children. I really believe it. And I'm thankful that we do at our church. I mean, in general, you know, in our culture, in our society, you know, I don't think we're doing a great job at, at, at make, training our children to obey the first time and obey right away and obey with the right spirit. Parents, if you give a command, teach them to obey the first time. To obey right away and obey with the right spirit. And if they don't, show them what it looks like to do it right. You know, it might make them practice. We did it with all of our children. When they were young, we made them practice obedience. And, and I would be on one end of the room, and I'm telling you, I'm 18 months old, uh, was about when these things would take place, and we'd have a showdown at the Jet Corral. <laughs> and there'd be a little 18-month-old who thinks they own the world, and Dad over on this side, who knows they don't, and I would say something like this, come. And if they stub, snubbed their nose at me or turned the other way, I'd very calmly walk over to them and I would somehow, in an appropriate way, let them know what they just did was, was not acceptable. And I'd either uh, flick them on their chubby little fingers. I love that. That's what fingers are good for, those little fat fingers. You just flick them on the back of their hand or just give them a little swat and they look at you like their whole world just crashed down. And you'd walk and I'd take their hand and say, no, come. And we'd walk over to where we were and I'd say, come. And then I'd somehow reward them, let them know that's what we want. And I'd take them right back over and do it again. And I would step back over here and I would say, come. And you have to commit. Sometimes you've got to commit hours until they are willing to obey. And there are times with some of our children that uh, we went to bed and I, and I was crying more than they were. No, not really, but felt like it. And the next morning, we'd get up and we'd do it all again. And it takes some time and it takes some practice and it takes some training. But listen, in our culture, do you think we need to train our children to obey more? Or do you think that in our culture, we're okay just to let them do what feels natural to them? No, our culture needs to see some children who obey right away the first time with the right spirit every time. 
And you're not seeing that anywhere except for the people really that are trying to follow God and obey God and do things the right way. And you might say, well, they're just not old enough. No, you can begin training them at a very, very young age. I mean, in the months, six months, eight months, that's what we did. And that is, again, that little flick on the back of the hand, it's not really anything that injures them except you've broken their heart for good. You know, and you, it, it, that's what it takes. You've got to take some time. And, and parents, I mean, if I could just be transparent with you, I think we need some training. Our children need some training to obey right away the first time with the right spirit. Train them for church. This is where I'm going to get myself in trouble, but just hear me out. Sitting still. And our kids start sitting in the service here at Eastside when they're three years old. Don't start training the day before their first service. Practice church. That's what we did. We had a couch, and in about two and a half, that's when our children began training. We would find the most boring sermon we could find, and we'd play it on the stereo. And we'd make them practice sitting there. They had to sit, and they had to listen, and if they started fidgeting, you know, we would, we would stop and let them know they're not supposed to do that. We would let them know in, in whatever way we felt led to do that, to let them know what they were doing was not acceptable, and, I, and I'm not bragging. I'm telling you, I can count on one hand the number of times all five of my children, we ever had to take them out of a service. And again, I, I'm not trying to lift up our methods because we're imperfect parents, but we did try it. We practiced. We tried hard. We wanted to train them. And part of that was I felt the pressure of being on church staff. And I didn't want to get fired for my children's behavior. So, you know, I was pretty motivated. But you know, our kids weren't perfect. And I've told you this before. The best method we figured out, my wife would teach them the very first thing. She would teach them when they were about three years old is how to read their name. So she'd, so they recognized their name and they thought it was really cool when they could see their name. And so when they would start doing something they shouldn't, she would write their name on a piece of paper and they're like, oh, there's my name. And then she would, then she would put a, a line underneath it and say, that's one. And they weren't quite as excited to see their name after that. But you know, like in school, if you're sitting in school as a child and, and in elementary school or something and your teacher would go and write your name on the board, well, that is a sobering moment, isn't it? It, it, it works the same in church. Teach them at an early age how to read their name. And they, I'm telling you, they, they, if they do that just a couple of times, they'll start finding out it's not a good thing for their name to be written there and for marks to be going on there uh, underneath their name. Teach them how to be quiet in church. You know, the reason we have a nursery is so the word of God can be heard unhindered. And I don't apologize for that. And I know that having your children with you in service, it is important. I'm all for it. I, I love to sit with my children in church. Okay? It's a blessing to be able to do that. But listen, if they're too young to sit quietly without distract, distracting others, they're not ready for it. And I, you know, I knew this was going to happen. We'd have noise happening. Listen, this is, it's okay. It's okay. But it is a matter of training. And, and if, if they're not ready to sit and be quiet, then train them. Help them with it. I mean, exactly what's happening right now. It's training going on. It's a perfect illustration. Thank you. You know, I knew, in my mind, I was thinking, as soon as I start saying that, the devil will enter into some child. (laughs) 
And, and that's, that's exactly what needs to happen. You've got to train for it. And, and parents, if, if you have your children, your young children in this service, I, what I ask is that you train them not to be a distraction to those around them. I don't think that's too much to ask. I'm not against families sitting together. I think maybe I, I've come across that way before and that's not ever been my spirit. I think sitting together as a family in church is healthy. But here's the thing. I would never presume that my preference comes before somebody else hearing the word of God clearly. And, and I, would, I would fight for the right fruit. If that was the case and I felt like I should have my children in here, then I would fight for the right fruit because I would want them to behave and I would th- want them to sit. I want them to be quiet so that I wouldn't distract somebody else from hearing God's word. And I have no doubt this morning that we had unsaved people in our services. And the last thing that I would ever want to do is have my children because of my lack of training. Listen, it's not the child's fault. But because I haven't taken the time to train them, I would not ever want for the word of God to not pierce the heart of somebody who needed to hear it because because I didn't do enough. I wasn't willing to fight enough for the right fruit. And since we're already here, you know, how about how about getting up or going to the bathroom during our services? You know, I do think that can become an epidemic. And parents, be diligent to make sure your kiddos go to the restroom before the service begins. Hey, listen, this is family talk, right? Okay? And that's what we, we tell our, I mean, we, we trained our children before service. I heard Vicki Jacob, I, I, heard, I think she asked all 12 of her children outside of the office, did you go potty? Did you go potty? Did you go potty? Did you go potty? <laughs> There's a lot to catch, you know? And Jesse's on the road. He's like, yes, mom, I'm driving. What are you? <laughs> Sorry, it's a habit, you know? You got to take care of the business. You know, it's not too much to train them to, to take care of their business before the service. And, yet, and we do have some families that every service, children are getting up and going to the bathroom. And, and I just want to say that, you know, I'm not lifting him up, but I, I, you know, Jace is eight years old and we've been here for two and a half years. And, and in my memory, I don't remember one time that he's ever gotten up to go to the bathroom. And it's not because he's a superhero, okay? You know what? It's because we thought it was important enough to train him. No, if once you start church, you're staying in church. Amen. And I'm telling you, there's been some of his dad's long-winded sermons he's been squirming by the end of. But in the end, it's a lesson he needs to learn because he should have gone to the bathroom before the service began. And I know that's meddling. I know, I, I know that that could come across the wrong way. I'm not trying to come across the wrong way. I'm trying to help you with your children to train them to do things they can do. It's possible. You know, there will be times when you have to go out. And that, that happens. I, I'm not saying that children are perfect. They're not going to be perfect. We're not perfect in training them. But let's do our best to train them. If we're going to be in church, and I want families to sit together, but let's work on training them so that there's not a distraction for the people around us. You know what else is a fight? We want the fruit of godly trained children, but it's a fight, is discipline. And it's, you know, moms and dads, husbands and wives, get on the same page with each other. It's important that you and your spouse decide what your priorities are so you can be consistent with each other. 
And one thing I appreciate about my wife is that the things that are important to me, I'm gone most of the time, most of the day, and she's at home with our kids, but the things that are important to me, she has made them important for her and for our children. And I don't feel like I have to come home and fix the way that she's been training our children because she's on board with what, with what I'm hoping to get accomplished. And husbands and wives should be on the same page. We should be consistent with each other. That, that I know what's important to me and what my priorities are and what her priorities are. So we're going to be on the same page. Consistency is the key to discipline. Be consistent with each other. And if you deal with an issue of attitude or disobedience, eight times out of ten, the world would say, well, that's really good. But honestly, those two times out of ten are probably undoing the eight times out of ten that you are disciplining. You've got to be that consistent. And I'm not saying that you're going to get it every time and that you're not going to let anything slip through the cracks, but it should be the very, very rare exception that something doesn't get disciplined that has been expressed as a priority to your children. You know, raising expectations for our kiddos, it's a fight because our culture is lowering the expectations. And I would say that our trend as a culture is not that we expect too much of our kids, but that we don't expect enough. Listen, they should be able, when you bring them to church, I would encourage you to train them and help them. They should be able to say hello to an adult that says hi to them. And we had, man, we had these battles with our kids. We wanted them to say hi to the pastor, and we would practice, and they would get in front of the pastor. It's like, what are you doing? We worked on this. And I know that happens. But can I encourage you? Listen, I want to say hi to your kids. I do. Help them. Train them to say hello, not just to me, but to other adults. Train them because that that is a mark. I mean, I'm telling you, if you have a child that will look an adult in the eye and shake their hand and speak to them and answer their questions, I'm telling you, you you you'll have a child that stands out in our culture. Our children, they shouldn't throw a fit when they're told no. If they do... Listen, go deal with it. Yeah, those, those acts of rebellion, you can't let those go. Um, you, you shouldn't have to raise your voice to get a response either, by the way. And I think that happens sometimes where we get in the habit of raising our voice just to get them to respond. It doesn't have to be that way. Speak calmly, be firm, but don't raise your voice so you'll train them to respond only to a raised voice. And deal with every act of rebellion. I know it's kind of funny and it's cute when they're little. I mean, they're such a stubborn little kid, aren't they? Oh, it's Sunday and they're so tired. I get it. But if you let it go, listen, if you let it go long enough and they're 15, that's not a laughing matter anymore. And I'm telling you, as a parent, you want this fruit. You want your children to be this certain way. Um, But it's a fight. It's a constant battle. And parents with teens, don't, don't cater to the things our kids are already good at. You know, our, our generation, our young people, they love video games. And I, I'm, I mean, I, I don't have any problem with video games. I do have a problem if a, a, a young person's day, the vast majority of it, is spent on video games. They're already good at video games. They're already, that's a natural thing. All we had to do, my, my brother um, got us an Xbox a couple years ago. I did not have to get my son excited about that thing. And as a matter of fact, we go months at a time without pulling it out. Because he's naturally already interested in that. 
And I don't have to train him to do that. So then why would I create an environment at home that simply reinforces all the things he already likes and is good at? No, I need to, I need to build an environment at home where he's, where he's not doing the things that he loves to do all the time because the things that come naturally to him, as much as I love my son, um, they're probably not good for him. You know, why would I create an environment at home that I allow my children to just sleep in and be lazy all day? They're already good at that. They're already, that's already natural for them. So I'm not gonna, I don't want to create an environment that reinforces the things in my children that they're already, that they already lean toward. And I mean, why would I create an environment in that which my wife does all the chores and does the dishes all the time? My children, they are already good at disappearing as soon as supper is over. They're good at that. So I don't want to create an environment then that doesn't already reinforce the things they're good at that aren't great for them, but that comes along and balances them out by making them do some things that aren't maybe their favorite, but it's good for their character. I, re- I don't want to create an environment in which the things that my children are already good at or already love are reinforced. You don't have the fruit without the fight. No fruit we all want. We want a strong, healthy, unified, growing church. I do. I'd love to see our Sunday nights as full, of our, as full as our Sunday mornings. I'd love to see our Wednesday nights as energetic as our Sunday nights. But it's a fight. Because you have to learn to serve alongside other people. And you don't, you don't get to choose who comes to your church. And it takes humility. It's a fight. Because we seek our own and sometimes it requires forgiveness and it's a fight because forgiveness is not natural in 1 Corinthians 12 uh, it talks about when one member suffers you suffer with and I think we're good at that we're very as a church we're good at that but it also says when one member rejoices rejoice with that member and I think I I truly believe that uh, uh, the health of a church is more evident when something good happens to somebody than when something bad happens to somebody. When something bad happens to somebody, you know, it's it's easy to surround them. But when something good happens to somebody, sometimes it, it's it's hard to find people that are truly happy for what God has blessed this person with. But a church family does both. A church family is not just interested in you know, well, well, they got that blessing, but I kind of deserve it too. No, a church family is happy when something good happens. That's a church family for you. And, and we want a strong, unified, healthy, growing church. We're going to have to change our mindsets about some things. We're serving in our ministries with each other and working alongside of each other. There should be nobody in our church that you have to come and tell me or tell my wife. You say, I'll serve, but I really just can't serve with that person. That shouldn't happen. You know, that shouldn't be that way. We should be willing to serve with anybody because God's brought us all here on purpose. And for you to say, well, I can't really serve with them is to, in some ways, imply that God didn't really know what he was doing when he brought me and them here because we're not compatible. No, by God's grace and through the bonds we have in Jesus Christ, I think all those things are overcomable. It takes humility, it takes deference, it takes forgiveness, and it takes us being willing to just humble ourselves before each other. It takes a fight to serve in our ministries and do it the best we can. It's easy to give God the leftovers, isn't it? I mean, life is busy. And you all work so many hours and you're busy. And I, I mean, I get it. But doesn't the one who's given us his best deserve ours? 
And it's a fight to give God our best every time. And listen, some of you have been teaching in Sunday school for years and years and years. And every week you prepare a lesson. And it's sometimes hard to give it your best because you've been doing it for so long. But God deserves it. And, and not only that, but those children that you're ministering to, you never know what seeds you're planting in their life that could turn into some real good fruit for them someday. Choir practice, boy, it gets hot in here. But there's no fruit without a fight. You don't get to sing a song like we did tonight, Sufficient. What an awesome song. You don't get to sing a song like that, I'm telling you. And, and you may not appreciate it if you're not in the choir. That's a difficult song to sing. And, and yet it takes some work. It takes some fight. You got to fight through the tiredness. You've got to wake up from your nap and get here on time. You got to focus in for an hour. And Brother Samuel is just so mean to us, you know. <laughs> Sunday school lessons, I mean, being in your place. You know, we want the fruit of you know, just things like, how about timeliness? It's like, uh-oh, now you're really meddling. No, we should desire the fruit of things done decently and in order. You know, one of the definitions of decently and in order there in 1 Corinthians 14 is a, is a fixed succession observing a fixed time. And listen, I don't, I don't start on time or try to start on time because, um, you know, because I have OCD and we have to start right on time. I start on time because it sends a message about how important this is to us. And this is for the Lord. So we're going to do our best to start on time. We're going to do our best to be on time. But listen, you can't always start on time unless people that are serving in the ministries have the same heart to be there on time. You know, a couple years ago, we had a children's ministry meeting and we asked anybody working in any children's ministry with children to be there 15 minutes before the service begins. How are you doing at that? Are you, are you in your place as early as you ought to be? The nursery, a few, a few Wednesday nights ago, um, it was time for church to start. We had a missionary, a couple little babies. There was nobody in the, in the nursery at 7 o'clock. And, you know, so we're kind of scrambling to get somebody in there. And I know that there's a mix-up. I know those things happen. It's just an example, though, of the fact that, that it, I, I can say we're starting at 7 or we're starting at 9.45. I can say those things all I want. But unless you get a heart for the things of God to be done the very best that they can be, I mean, I can't force that on somebody. I can make a rule, but I don't want to make a rule. I just want you and I to all have a heart for the things of God to do it our very best. That I don't have to pull anybody's arm or, or twist your arm to make you be there on time. Let's just be there on time. I mean, God deserves it. If you teach, if you help, be there in plenty of time so that, that the kids aren't in the room by themselves before Sunday school. I mean, it, it's, not just, it's not just spiritual, it's also practical. Some things that we're trying to protect ourselves from, be on time. It, it's, it's a fight to be on time. It, for Sunday school, for choir, for services, this is an area that I like to say it's, it creeps. Just kind of slowly gets looser and looser. But let me ask you this. Would your boss let you be as loose with your time at work as you are when it comes to God's house? We have business owners in here. If an employee consistently came in late to their shift, would you say something? Well, yeah, you probably would. Why? Well, because being on time makes a statement to customers. It helps the business run like it should. But listen, this is God's work. And shouldn't we be more concerned about God's house and the things that happen for him even than we are in the workplace? 
Now, listen, I'm not saying that this is more important than the workplace. Okay? I mean, more significant, yes. I'm not saying that your workplace doesn't matter. I'm saying that, that this should matter at least as much as what you as a business owner would require of your employees. And I'm just asking it for the Lord's sake. Doesn't he deserve that from us? You know, we've got, there's so many areas. You know, fruit, I think about this nice building in here. You know, having a nice building, it's a fight. It's a fight to keep it looking the way it ought to. Um, it's a fight to I, I'm just at, resist the urge to throw your gum in the parking lot. I've dealt with that a couple of months ago. But listen, it seems like every Sunday I'm kind of picking some up. And it's not just, that's just not, it's not just spiritual. It's practical because somebody steps on it. They track it through the building. And yet somebody is insistent. Don't spit your gum out in the parking lot. See, now you're really meddling. I know I am. You know, just be mindful of that stuff. You know, it, here's, a good, here's a good rule of thumb when it, comes to, when it comes to church ministry. Leave an area better than you found it. That's a, good, that's a good rule of thumb. You know, our kitchen is accessible to a lot of people. But you know, what I, you know what I find myself doing before every service? I find myself going and closing the kitchen doors because sometimes I don't know what condition the kitchen's going to be in before a service. And a kitchen being accessible to everybody means that multiple people use it. Let me just encourage you this. All it takes is three or four people to say, okay, it's good enough, we got to go. And it turns into a two-day two day clean, cleaning job for somebody. That stuff really starts to creep. I'm not getting on to somebody. I'm just saying, listen, this is God's house. Let's make sure we take care of it. Leave an area better than you found it. If you do an activity in a Sunday school class, leave it cleaner than you found it. You know, in your pew, your area of the pew, um, don't, you know, leave it cleaner than you found it when you came in. And let's just have that as a rule of thumb for Eastside Baptist. We're always going to leave it better than we found it. When our family goes out to eat, we, you know, we will a lot of times have to pull tables together. You know what I train my kids to do from an early age? As soon as we stand up, we put all the tables and all the chairs exactly back the way they were when we found them. And you're saying, well, that's a Taco Bell. What's the big deal? Well, I just want them to have in their character, their integrity, to leave things better than they found them. And that's a good way to teach them. It's not a spirit necessarily just a spiritual thing. I want, them, I want them to have a reputation that they leave things better than they found them. And I think we can do that too. You know, Moses said something interesting in verse 30. We're almost done. Look at verse 30. He said, the Lord your God, which goeth before you, he shall fight for you. And you might say, okay, well, he's told them the Lord is going to fight for them. And, and you might say, well, see, we're not supposed to fight. God fights for us. He does the work. But wait, how many times did the Lord just defeat an enemy without the children of Israel leaving their tents? In my experience, in my reading, very few. You know what he was always telling them? Go up. Or go down. And he wasn't always telling them, you're going to have to go fight. But he was telling them, you need to go up and I want you to go be in your place. Or you need to go down and go down and be in your place. Or what was he telling them? He said, oh, here, the first six days I want you to march, march around once. On the last day I want you to march around seven times and then blow your trumpets. Did they have to fight? No. But they had to be in a position where God could fight for them. And so the point is... You know, our fight is not to win every battle. Our fight is to do all we can so the Lord can do what only he can do. 
to put ourselves in a position where we've done what we can so that God could come in and do what he can. He will not move on our behalf until we move on his behalf. He doesn't just give us the fruit to those unwilling to take their steps. They could have had all the fruit they wanted, but because they had a notwithstanding, because they said nevertheless, then he didn't give them the fruit. They, 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 could have, they didn't get the fruit because they weren't willing to fight. You know what's interesting, though, look down at verse 36. He said in verse 35, let's read there. Surely there shall not one of these men of this evil generation see that good land, which I swear to give unto your fathers, save Caleb. Why? Well, it says, he shall see it, and to him will I give the land that he hath trod upon, and to his children, because he hath wholly followed the Lord. See, God promised Caleb would enjoy the fruit of the land because he did all he could. Was it, was it Caleb's job to defeat the enemy? Well, that may have been part of it. He said, I want that mountain. I would not have wanted to mess with 85-year-old Caleb. But all he was asked to do was wholly follow the Lord. To get into the fight it, to, and just let God do the rest of it. And he got to experience the fruit of the land for himself when all of his peers and everybody else his age died in the wilderness. Think about it. The children of Israel got one cluster of grapes. That first wave, they got one cluster. That's it. They got a taste. They got one, one, maybe one look at it. But because they weren't willing to fight, they didn't get to experience all the fruit they could have enjoyed. And that's how Christians are too. We enjoy a little taste of the fruit and we settle right where we are. Yet God has a whole land of fruit that he wants us to enjoy and it's available to us. But because we're not willing to take the steps and fight the fight for the fruit, we don't get to enjoy all that God intends for us to Enjoying the fruit means choosing the fight. What areas of your life are essentially fruitless because you've been fightless? I know that's not a word. Don't get hung up on that. But I think we have areas in our life we want fruit, but we don't have it because we haven't been willing to fight for it. If you want the fruit, you have to be willing to face your fear, have faith in God, and get in the fight. Just yesterday, uh, I was able to touch base with Pastor Rick Henry. And so for those of you long timers, how many of you know who Pastor Rick Henry is? We've got a few of you that were here or either remember him or remember stories about him. He, he was directly before Pastor Spencer from I think 77 to 83, end of 83. He was here for almost seven years. He was the pastor of Eastside uh, Baptist Church. He was the third pastor, I believe. And I just, I mean, he, he called because the family that was here this morning, the singing family, he knew who they, who they were. And he was calling to let me know they were going to be here. Uh, details. Okay, so he calls and I, I got to talk to him a little bit. And I was just soaking it up. I was just enjoying the stories. Telling me how he and Pastor Spencer got connected and, and, uh, and how Pastor Spencer came to work in the school. And how Pastor Spencer, he said, was just the best associate he ever had and he was just, he spoke so highly of Brother Spencer. And he was telling me about um, how they built a building there on Sycamore, uh, their first, the first location on Sycamore, and they built a building there. And then they moved to the other location on Sycamore. And then he told me they were running this amount. And then um, they had a big issue in the church, and there was a split, and a bunch of people left. Sorry, it's already aired the dirty laundry, okay? And, and he said, and they went back down to this number, but he just, Stuck with it. And the church had some good years. Really, really good years. But, it, I mean, he's telling me all the good memories, but he was also telling me some of the hardships. 
and some of the struggles and some of the downtimes. And he told me some of the uptimes. And I was glad to hear all of it because I just wanted to hear the history and it was helpful to me. But you know what I was thinking when I was talking on the phone? It's like Rick Henry, I don't know him. I've only talked to him over the phone. I don't know him very well. Um, but what I, what I got from him is that for those seven years or so that he was, he was here, he was willing to fight for Eastside Baptist Church. And handed it off to Pastor Spencer, who was willing to fight for Eastside Baptist Church. And give his all and give his effort and give his heart and his love to the church. And I was thinking about those men and I was thinking about this building And I really believe that we at church, at Eastside Baptist Church, we get to enjoy fruit. Because for decades, people have been willing to fight. And I don't mean brawlers. I mean to fight for the things that matter. And the little things, the big things, whatever it was, they were willing to invest themselves at Eastside Baptist Church so that we can enjoy the fruit. And there's two things about that. Number one... I don't want to take for granted the fruit that we've got to enjoy that was built on the backs of those that fought for this. Let's not take for granted that we inherited a lot from people that, were, that put in a lot of effort. But second, it made me think about this. Someday, someone is going to be standing at the Jordan River and they're going to be talking about this generation. They're going to be talking about us and they're going to be saying, well, you know, way back when, when, you know, Pastor Jet was here and, and, and those things were happening and God really wanted to do real work at Eastside. But they got up right up there to the river and they saw the fruit that could be there and they said, uh, notwithstanding. Said, no, they're too big for us. And, and, and I don't want them to talk about our generation like Moses had to talk about the previous generation Deuteronomy. I don't want them to say, you know, that generation under Pastor Jet, they could have had some real fruit. if they, they could have really done some things, but they got right up to the verge of it and they said, well, you know, we're not willing to fight. I don't want that to be our testimony. I want them, I want them to say, not just for their sake, but for the Lord's sake, but I want them to, to be able to look back at this time in the history of Eastside Baptist Church and say, you know what, that church, they got our right up to the verge, and there were some reasons maybe they couldn't have, I don't know, COVID, the culture, everything's in, just kind of in disarray. They got there, though, to the edge of the Jordan River, and rather than saying there's too much working against us, say, you know what, but the Lord your God is on our side. He'll fight for us if we simply take the steps to put ourselves in a position that he can fight for us. Because I want to enjoy the fruit. But to enjoy the fruit, we're going to have to, we're going to, have to fight. Not with each other. Say, that sounds fun. No, not with each other. I mean, fight for the things that matter. And sometimes the little things require a fight. And you just have to be reminded. If we want the fruit down the road, I'm going to have to fight for the small things today. I have to give it my best and give it my best effort with our children, in our marriages. There's fruit to enjoy. But it's going to take us being willing to get into the fight. Are you willing? You don't get the fruit, the fruit without the fight. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.